Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Hey, Milestone, it's so great to be with you. I'm so excited what you guys have done. Now, I gotta tell you though, I think your response to Pastor Jeff's comments were kind of wimpy. When you, you think what you've done here in your Beyond campaign, raising over 15 million, you've committed and an offering of 2.8 million, and all the thousands of lives are gonna be touched and changed for eternity, let's give it up, come on, let's celebrate, come on. Give it up. That's what I'm talking about. That's exceptional, do you guys realize that? You guys have an exceptional team here. I love your pastor and Brandy, they are just among the best of the best. And I have to sign a do not recruit clause every time I come here with Pastor Jeff so I don't recruit the staff away. Because I'm a recruiter, I'm an old football coach, I'm always looking for talent. I may be sizing some of you up before the service is over, <laughs> talking to you about Florida. Especially when I woke up this morning in Dallas and I'm going, what is this weather? This is, I thought it was spring, what's, what's going on here? But anyways, it's great to be back with you and I am pumped and excited about what you're getting ready to step into as a church because God's positioned you for this time and he's laid the foundation for what's going to be happening in and through your lives. He's gonna use every one of you to be a part of moving forward his agenda, God's agenda, the vision that was God birthed upon your leader's hearts. He wants you to be an agent of transformation in this region for Christ, amen? And that transformation is gonna spread throughout this state and impact this nation and the nations of the world. So don't you ever be content with being average and sitting back as a spectator in this. No, 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 no. You get your helmet on and you get on the field. You get in, you be a part of it. I was sitting, I guess I hadn't seen this commercial before, I was watching this commercial where a guy goes in to, um, to a garage and a guy's got the car you know, up, up and jacked up and he's in there working on the brakes and he says, hey, do you like do a good brake jobs here? And the guy said, oh, our brake jobs are okay. He said, we have a model around here, if our brakes don't stop you, something will. He, and he thought, have you seen that commercial? You know, and it's a commercial about who wants average? You don't want just an average guy. Like, he had to have one about the surgeon too, where the surgeon comes in, he, he just got, you know, whatever, he, his credentials have been taken away and he's just been, I think they're back, but hey, we'll do all right, we'll figure it out when we get in the surgical room. No, 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 no. You don't want someone that kind of average working on you. You want people to have exceptional gifts. Well, I wanna tell you something. God has called you to live not an average life, but an exceptional life because he wants you to live that life so your life becomes a source of inspiration and encouragement to the lives around you. So that you can be so attractive that people are drawn to you so you can lead them to him. Now here's a verse of scripture I love in John 10, 10, Coach's translation. It says, I've come to give you the winning edge in life. Our Heavenly Father created you, you were created by God and for God, and he said, you know what? I want you to be a winner in all you do, because as a winner, your life will become attractive. You need to have a winning marriage. You need to have a winning family. You need to be successful in winning at your work. You need to be exceptional in winning at the school place, because it sets you apart. As a winner, it sets you apart. And you live with a sense of confidence 
in who you are and the mission God's called you to. And then here's what I love this verse of scripture in Matthew 5, 16. Once again, coach's translation. You know, I'm a coach. I'm translating the Bible one verse at a time. I'm getting, I'm getting through my New Testament pretty well. Matter of fact, I don't quote any scriptures anymore from the New Testament that aren't coach's translation. But I love this. Look what Jesus says. It says, live a life that inspires and attracts others to you so you can lead them to me. Remember what he said? So let your light shine, then we'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what he's saying. Live that life that is attractive. God's called you to that life. And there's something about champions that are attractive. People that, that champion have a champion's confidence. They, they talk differently, they walk differently. They, they have an air about them of confidence when they go into that, into life. When, when I was a, a boy growing up in Southern Ohio, we only had one pro football team and it was the Cleveland Browns. They're pitiful right now. But back when I was there, we were pretty good. We had this Hall of Fame running back by the name of Jim Brown. And Jim Brown was the best running back in the NFL at that time. And all of us young runners in high school and college wanted to be like Jim Brown. So I wanted to emulate Jim Brown. He inspired me that I could play on a higher level and play at a greater level. You know, people are looking for inspiration. They're looking for someone that can inspire them and motivate them to step up. And that's what God's called us to do. When he said, you're the salt and you're the light of the world, he was saying he wants to so relate his own personhood through us to the world that people can find that there is a flavor when they taste of God and know that he is good. And there is a hope and there's a courage that they can live their life by that takes them to a higher sense of destiny and purpose than they would know on their own. That is our mission milestone. That's why we've been going through the Beyond campaign to get us prepared for what God has in this next stage as the church and our impact in this community. So I thought for inspiration today, I would look to one of my great uh, champions of the word of God, which is the Apostle Paul. I love Paul because Paul lived with confidence and that confidence guided every step of his life and that confidence was based in his relationship with God and the courage of his faith to face whatever challenge he had to face and always see the spiritual purpose in every challenge. And so here's what Paul writes, I love it. Paul says in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him, that being Christ, who strengthens me. I love this where he goes on to say, my God will supply all of my needs. So why do I have to worry about any situation I'm in? My God's there, he will supply. He says a few verses before that in Philippians 4, he says in verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Wow. Here's a guy that says, I know there's nothing I can't handle through the power of God. I know there's no need I'll ever have that God can't meet. And I have learned the secret, no matter what my circumstances are, I've learned the secret of peace and contentment in my life. So what, where's this all coming from in Paul? How did he, how did he get to this stage in his life that he had this confidence, this peace, this assurance, and this courage. Well, I think he gives us some insights as we look back in this same passage in the earlier verses. 
So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And I think we have the words for you on the screens as well today. So here's what the word says. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Now do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your, your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put them into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So, you know, as an old coach, I'm always looking for the keys to victory. Uh, every year I would take my staff and I would go to wherever, whoever won the national championship, and I would go to their spring practice and try to learn from them. I wanted to know how they were doing their drills, what was their philosophy behind their plays, everything about it. I was looking for any little key I could find to help me become a better coach, help my coaches become better coaches so we could coach up our teams and they could be better. Because we wanted to always look for the best. So that's what I was looking for in the scripture. When I read the scripture, I'm always looking for, okay, Lord, show me some coaching tips here so I can apply them to my life and I can share them with others so we can live the life that you've called us to live. A life of inspiration, a life that's attractive, a life on purpose, a life on mission, a life that's making a difference. So Paul gives us our first key, you ready? Now guys, I've, I, I, I met girls, I've, I've given these titles so the guys can get them, okay? Now you girls can handle complicated, deep things, but the guys are not that way. I gotta put the cookies on the lower shelf for the guys. It's gotta be like see, spot, run. Oh, I get that, okay, good, we're running, okay, good. Got that, so here we go. Point number one that Paul gives us, this is a key to living with this kind of confidence that takes us out of the average into the exceptional life God's called us to, so that we can fulfill our mission for him. Amen, we got our basis, here we go. Key number one, we gotta look up and beyond. We look up and beyond, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what the circumstances we're facing, no matter what test or trial we're in, we look up and beyond. Paul says rejoice. And again, I say rejoice in everything, give thanks. He's writing this from prison to the church at Philippi. Paul is in prison and he's talking about having a spirit of rejoicing. Paul refused to let his outward circumstances ever control the inward response of his heart towards God. He said, I'm gonna always keep a kingdom perspective. That's why I look up and I look beyond the natural to the supernatural. Paul understood that secret. Remember when he was, went to Philippi for the first time in Acts chapter 16, he was arrested because he cast an evil spirit out of a fortune teller. Remember that? He was thrown into prison, he and Silas. And what were they doing at midnight in the prison in their stocks? Were they moaning? Were they groaning? Were they questioning God? Why? Lord, we're here preaching your gospel. Why would you let us be beaten and thrown into prison? Doesn't anybody care? No, they weren't doing any of that. 
Bible says they were singing some hymns of praise to God. And God's hearing them sing and he pats his foot. You know the earth is the footstool of the Lord. You get it? It shook the place. Violent earthquake opened. The, 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 the prison gates opened up and, and the jailer's about to take his life because he's responsible. He thought everybody's escaped. And Paul gives him that great line, stop in the name of love. Before you break my heart, think it over. Anyways, so he, he, my wife hates it when I do that. Hey, honey, if you're watching, I love you. I'll be home soon. Bless you, baby. Come on. You, daddy's coming home. You know what I mean? So, but that's the response of Paul. Paul had, Paul had taken on a whole, such a kingdom perspective about life that he viewed whatever challenge he had to face, he knew through it, there was a spiritual significance about it, either for him or for those around him. That's why he wrote to the church at Rome in Romans 8, 28. I know, he said, that in all things, God's working for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Paul knew that. Why was he so secure in that? I think it's because he was so secure in his identity in Christ. You remember Paul was a man who was a, trained by the best of the Jewish scholars. He also had Roman citizenship, so therefore he could travel among the elite of the elite in his day. And he thought the early Christians were heretics. They were preaching false truths that Jesus was not the Messiah, therefore they needed to be called out and persecuted for it. He was there standing holding the cloaks of the first men who stoned Stephen, the first martyr to death. And then he's on the road to Damascus to seek out other of these called, these new believers, and bring them before trial. When the Lord, in Acts chapter 9, sent a great light from heaven, struck him so powerfully, knocked him off his horse. And then the words of God were spoken to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was taken to a little street called Straight in Damascus. A little man by the name of Ananias came and ministered to him for three days. It was in those moments when he was blinded physically that his spiritual eyes were opened. And he had this divine encounter with the creator of the universe and his creator. And in that divine encounter, he had a divine revelation of who he was. And God said, you are now my servant. I'm changing your name from Saul of Tarshish now to Paul. And you will go to the world and take my truth to the Gentile kings and queens and nations. Wow. See, I truly believe it takes a divine encounter for us to really capture a divine revelation of who we are. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. The word of God says, for it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Look what John says in 1 John. I love this verse in 1 John. For how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Sometimes I think we minimize the true identity of who we are. We are children of the Most High King. We need to walk like it talk like it, and act like it. One of, the, one of the great writers, he had this quote, and I love this quote by, by Neil Anderson. It's a great quote. He said, the more you reaffirm who you are in Christ, 
the more your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity. When we really understand who we are, it affects everything about us. It affects our life choices, it affects our reactions, our responses, our attitude, our tone, everything about our life. And Paul said, always keep your eye on the spiritual significance of everything. And here was the secret, the four little words at the end of that passage. It said, the Lord is near. Paul knew no matter where he was, he was not alone. God was near, therefore he had nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear when the Lord is near. Tweet that. You have nothing to fear when the Lord is near. I grew up in Southern Ohio and my grandfather was my pastor. You would have loved my grandfather. He was a great man. He was about six foot four, man's man, man, had huge old hands on him, strong as an ox. He built every church we ever worshiped in. He physically built these buildings. You know, he was that kind of guy. I have his pulpit. He built his pulpit. Big old pulpit we stand behind, you know. I actually have that now in my office. They gave it to me years ago. I went back up to preach in southern Ohio, and, and they brought my grandfather's pulpit to me and said, we want to give this to you as a gift. It's a treasure I have. He, you just loved him. But he had a passion for hunting. He loved to hunt. And one thing he loved, he had a bunch of old hound dogs, and we took these hound dogs out, and we would go hunt these raccoons at night in the woods. So we're out coon hunting with coon dogs, and I'll tell you what, it was crazy because I loved going to Grandpa, and we'd go out in these strange woods at night. I was never afraid, never concerned. I was with Grandpa. Who could bother me with Grandpa? I mean, if, a, if we came upon a bear, he'd whip the bear. I wasn't afraid of any bear in the woods. Grandpa would handle a bear. He's bigger than a bear. I was never afraid of anything until one night. We're hunting in this strange woods. Never been in this woods before. Suddenly the dogs, they tree way off in the distance. And he said, Tommy, you better wait right here. I gotta go get those dogs and get them back here and you'll slow me down. I'm going, Grandpa, no, I don't wanna go with you. He said, no, no, Tommy, you wait here. So I said, okay. So he took off and he had the only light. He took off with his light. Well, I was okay until that light disappeared. When that light was gone and I couldn't see that light anymore, I'm looking around here and I can't see anything, but suddenly I get this strange, eerie feeling like there's something creeping up on me. I got my back up to a tree. I got a stick in my hand like that's going to help me. And I'm standing here going, and suddenly I'm hearing things I've never heard before. I'm seeing strange shadows moving like I've never seen before. And fear comes over me. I am scared to death. I've never been scared in the woods ever before. But why I was scared that night. First soon I couldn't hear the dogs barking anymore, so I'm saying, good, good, he's got to him, he's got to be heading back, and I'm, I'm anticipating, anticipating, and I'm sitting there just trembling around, hearing all kinds of strange things, and suddenly I see a flicker of light. Then I see another flicker, and then it's getting stronger. I saw it coming, and boy, the closer that light came, the less I was afraid. And then suddenly I could hear him walking, and he called out to me, Tommy! I said, hey, Grandpa, I'm over here. I dropped my stick. Stepped away from the tree, got my head up, got my shoulders back. Grandpa is near. I have nothing to fear. Come on, you won't mess with me now? You got to take on Grandpa, baby. Come on. <laughs> Do we realize how close the Lord is to us? The enemy of our soul wants to rob us of that reality. He wants to get our focus so on our challenge, our problem, our sickness, our, our need, our conflict. We're so focused there that we stop to look up. We're not looking up and we're not looking beyond. And then fear begins to grip our hearts. God's not called us to live with anxiety. He's called us to live with the freedom 
of a peace and a confidence because we know the Lord is near. I am his child. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will stand with me. I know that in all things God is working for me. I know this, that if God is for me, who can mess with me? That's what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Coach's translation, Romans 8, 31, right. Nobody can mess with me. Paul had captured that secret. When we capture that, it can bring such a release to our lives and begin to instill a confidence in us. He also says this is important that you huddle up. Look what he says when he says, whatever you do, don't be anxious about anything, but take everything to God in prayer. It matters who you're huddling with every day. But in every situation, by prayer, petition, thanksgiving, presents your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You've got to get in the huddle. Coach sent me on. I was a freshman in college, and I went on for my first running play. I go running out on the field. I got late. The huddle broke already, and they're up on the line of scrimmage, and the quarterback turns and tells me the play, but I did not hear him clearly. I thought I was running to the left and the whole play was running to the right. Snaps the ball, I'm not sure what the snap count is, so I was late getting out of my stance and ran the wrong direction. Hello, great debut, my first running play in college. I got to the sideline, the coach grabbed me by the face mask, spitting in my face as he's ripping me for running the bad play. I said to myself, I'm never gonna be late to that huddle again. See, a lot of us are struggling with life because we're not sure where we're supposed to line up. We're, we're not sure what play we're supposed to execute. What, what's my decision here? What direction am I supposed to go? And then we keep jumping off sides. We don't understand timing. Like, Lord, what's going on here? There's a penalty flag. Another penalty flag. Another. Hey, hey, get in the huddle. If you huddle up with God every day in prayer, if you huddle up with the Lord in his word, it is amazing how you will begin to get a wisdom about you and an understanding about you and a discernment about you. The Holy Spirit wants to direct your life and say, okay, son, line up right here, okay? We're right here. You're right here. This is where you, and here you're going to run this play. We're going to do a lead iso off the left side. i got everything set up. The tackle's going to come down. The tight end's going to double team with the tackle. The fullback's going to kick out that end. We got the linebacker sealed off. You got a clean running lane, baby. Come on, get to the end zone. And by the way, it's hold three. So don't wait. Hut, hut, hut. You know, I still dream about running that ball. I, I do, I have a dream. I, I, it's the craziest dream. I have this dream, I go in the huddle. I'm in the huddle, they call my play. We come up, we line up, and I'm here. I'm like this, and hit. Every time it happens, the quarterback starts into his cadence. And here's the thought that goes through my mind. Do they know I have no eligibility left? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Do they know I have no eligibility? And I never get to run the play. Jesus, let me run the play one time. Get in the huddle. I'll tell you what, you need to huddle up with your family in prayer. My wife and I have been married 53 years. You know the secret? We huddle up. We huddle up together in prayer. We huddle up with the church family. This is a critical huddle milestone right here. Your small groups is a critical huddle. 
Listen, you need to huddle up with the right people. You huddle up with the right people, it's gonna have a transformational impact in your life. I think I told you the story last time I was here about when I went to college and, and I thought I was gonna be really outstanding because I was an all-state all player and all that, but I got to college and realized, man, it's different hitting men, full-grown men, some of them come out of the military service and hitting boys, you know what I'm talking about? And then in our school, when I played back in the day, the coaches didn't believe in water. They thought water made you weak. They give you a salt tablet. Like that's all you need for two a days, a salt tablet. You're getting dehydrated, losing 10 pounds of water weight in a practice. One practice, it was so bad, they were dragging bodies off one after another, and they didn't care. There was like, kill every freshman you can on site was an unwritten code for the upperclassmen. So that, and they never talked to us, they just tried to kill us. And they were driving, and the trainers were grabbing guys, passing out, dragging them over and stacking them up in a stack. They're stacking them up over there. They're like getting ready to bring body bags out and just cart them off. So then the coach blows a whistle, run, wind sprints. I'm exhausted. I've thrown up everything I'd eaten that day. I didn't think I could make it. I was trembling. I was shaking. And I'm sitting there like this. <sighs> I'm trying to think, how am I going to make it in this place? And, think, and actually thinking about that I couldn't make it is when something strange happened. This all-American senior fullback, he comes walking by me, and he said, hey, rookie, I didn't know he knew my name. <laughs> and he said, hey, rookie, run with me. He saw where I stayed I was in. I got down beside him. Somehow I drafted off Charlie, and I got through that practice. Where do you think I was every practice after that? Man, wherever Charlie was, I was. I was right there. <laughs> He never spoke to me. He just nodded at me. He didn't need to. I'm running with Charlie. What was interesting later that year when I actually made the team and started for the team by my second game, I, I was starting, and then they talked to you. Once I made the team and started, they, the upperclassmen actually spoke to me. I didn't know they knew me, and I, I, they would talk to me. And I turned out, found out that Charlie was an ordained Baptist minister. He had mercy on me and nicknamed me preacher. Yeah, because one night I went to him, not with Charlie, with another group of guys to a party and when I found out what was going on at the party, I stayed in the car. I didn't go in to the sorority house. I stayed in the car, so they made fun of me, but I was the only sober one to drive the rest of them back and they nicknamed me preacher. I guess that's a pretty good nickname. I don't mind that name today preacher. It doesn't matter who you hang with. You want to hang with the right people. And you've got the right people right here that are going to take you to the next level. Charlie did that for me. Quickly, look what else he says. You've got to think up. Not only do you need to look up, you've got to huddle up, but you've got to think up. You've got to get your mind thinking on the things of good report, the things that are noble and pure. You know what's so tough today about social media? There's so much criticism on social media. Everybody's taking pot shots and criticizing, finding fault, tearing down. That's our culture today, but that's not you as a follower. You're different. You think differently, therefore you speak differently and you act differently. People are drawn to you when you're positive, when you're encouraging, when you're affirming. They're repelled when you're negative and critical and fault finding. Remember, we're to live an attractive life, not a repelling life. Paul knew this. He said, you've got to take every thought captive. He says this in 2 Corinthians. Take every thought captive. We demolish every argument 
and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now here's what I know, if you wanna guard your mind, the best defense is a great offense. So get offensive, flood your mind with the things of truth, flood your mind with the word of God. Discipline your mind to focus on those things. When you look at people, don't look into the faults, look at the potential in them. Look at the God call upon their life. And remember the grace that God gave you in your life that looked beyond your faults to see your needs and called you to a higher level. And then begin to speak that over people. Paul had to battle it all the time. He knew he had to win the battle of the mind because he had to battle condemnation. All the things he had done to try to destroy the church that now he loves and is trying to promote. But God gave him that grace and he did it. I could spend the whole message on just this point, but just listen. Get in the word and let the word get in you and shape your mind and your thinking and your perspective. And finally he says, you gotta step up. You gotta step up and begin to put into practice those things you know that are true. Step up to the next level. He said, put into practice what you've seen in me and heard from me. Now here's what I know. As followers of Christ, we live by principle, not by pressure. The culture's pressuring us how we should think, how we should talk, and how we should act. I am paying zero attention to that I am putting 100% of my focus on God's eternal truth and word. That's where it's gonna shape my life. And I tell our teenagers all the time, don't you dare let the culture pressure you into acting a certain way. You live by principle. Establish your life in the truth of God and it will strengthen and establish your life and give you confidence when you're living according to the principle of God. So we gotta look up and beyond. We gotta huddle up, we gotta think up, and we gotta step up. If you do that, you're gonna live a life that becomes so attractive, you will become an agent of transformation. And there's something about a person that's just simply passionate about the things of God that makes you so attractive. It's been a while since I told you a story, but, um, when I had my first coaching assignment, it was a high school. I took over a high school, never had a winning season. They had been a young school, and they, they finally let me come in. That's the reason I got the head coaching job. And I went in there, and they only had about 20-some players, and so I went out recruiting everybody I could to come out for the team. So I was to my surprise at, at summer tryouts, here come, we had 100 players show up. So I lined them up according to athletic ability to make sure that good players got good equipment and everything. Got down to the final player, and here he was right here. He looked a lot like this Mike Stan right here. His, his name was Carl Pierce. Matter of fact, this Mike Stan might have more body tone, muscle tone than Carl had. And so Carl comes up and I said, son, what position are you gonna play? He said, I'm gonna be a wide receiver coach. I said, okay. So we got any wide receiver pads left in the back? I said, no coach. We only got one pair of pads left. I said, we'll bring them out, we'll make them fit. Well, the year before, there had been this defensive tackle who weighed about 300 pounds. He brought his shoulder pads out. I remember, he, this is Carl Pierce, okay? I don't know that Carl weighed 100 pounds at the time. So here's Carl. So I put the shoulder pads down over Carl. He sticks his arm up through the neck hole and said, Coach, I think these are a little too big. I said, no, Carl, you'll be able to catch the ball from any position, you know, wherever you 
you can spin those things around on. We took old towels, taped the towels up inside, but no matter what we could do, we couldn't keep them on his shoulders. Shoulder pads would fall down off his little narrow. His shoulders about like that wide, you know. <laughs> hey, we got any helmets that'll fit this young man? No, coach, we only got one helmet left. Bring it out, we'll make it work. Well, you guess it. It fit the guy who wore the shoulder pads. Here's a big old head, and there's Carl's head right there. There's that head right there. That's a small head. And so we put that helmet on him, triple cheek pads, and we took socks, stuffed socks up around it. But no matter what we would do, he looked like a bobble doll. He would run, and the first practice, he runs out on the field. There's no joke. He runs out on the field, and the helmet turned sideways, and his nose was sticking out the ear hole, and he tripped and he fell. He was a mess. Well, we only had one pair of pants. Both his legs would fit down one leg of those pants that fit that 300 pounder. And we took some shoestrings and tied them. And Carl had to run it. Whatever he did, he had to hold his pants. He could do a one-arm jumping jack, that's all. If he tried two, his pants would fall down. But I promised if everybody had a great spirit and a great attitude and tried hard, they'd dress for the game. So it came time for the first game, I had to dress him. So I said, son, run out on the field, line up in the back line, and don't do anything. Just stand there and hold your pants. So here he was. <laughs> do you know we won the first game? We won the second game. We won the third game. We won our fourth game. We're now 4-0, undefeated, already matched the best record of the school's history. We're in our fifth game. We're trailing the whole game. About two minutes to go, we score the go-ahead touchdown. All we gotta do is kick the ball up, hold them for about two minutes, and then we're gonna be five and zero. I'm thinking we're gonna be in the state playoffs. I am pumped up. Kickoff team goes out on the field. I look out on the kickoff team. There's only 10 guys out there, and I turn around to my assistant coach, big old strapping linebacker from Florida State. His name was War Caesar Jakes. And I turn to Coach Jakes and says, Coach Jakes, get somebody on the field. Now remember, I wasn't a pastor then. <laughs> he turns without looking, grabs the first player standing beside him and throws him onto the field. And there goes Carl Pierce. And I'm going, no, time He says, you have no more timeouts, coach. And he blew the whistle. I didn't know that Carl knew which direction to run. He's in the outside contained position. They're going to return the ball off the sideline right at where Carl is. I turned to the assistant coach. I wanted to kill him. We're going to be 5-0. and oh. Carl goes running down the field, it looked like body parts were falling off of me. Things just going. <laughs> Next thing I know, there's this massive collision about the 25 yard line. Guys are screaming, fumble, fumble, fumble. I said, who's got the ball? Who's got the ball? I got a coach. I got a coach. <laughs> he, he comes running off the field. He's carrying the football. And my assistant coach is going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I went and got the game film Saturday morning. I watched the game film. He went running down the field. This is no joke. His helmet had turned sideways. He did not see the ball carrier coming. And he ran into the ball carrier. The ball carrier actually ran into him. And when he did, he got tangled up in Carl's pads. <laughs> Boom! 
when he fell down, and when he fell down, he, the ball got dislodged. Someone speared Carl in the back, whoop, knocked him on the ball. I got him out of school Monday morning, took him down to the sporting goods store, went in the peewee football department, <laughs> got him some pads to fit him. I said, son, I'm gonna honor you for your heart, man, your passion. I put him out there the next week just to honor him on the first play. He ran down on the kickoff team again, had him between my two best athletes. I found out that running backs were attracted to Carl, and they ran up to Carl, and here's what Carl did. He ran right up to him, and just kind of stopped and kind of leaned back. And they ran over him and they got tangled up in him. He just like wrapped all around and just like a piece of barbed wire. Do you know at the end of that season, the team voted him the most improved player? And you know what they did the next year? He was so inspirational with his heart that they voted him the captain of the specialty teams. Carl Pierce, right here, right here, right here. I mean, hey, 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 hey. Hey, talent level, low. <laughs> Passion level, off the charts. So don't you look around and say, well, you know, I just don't have these gifts and I, I don't have, you know, and by the way, nothing seems to be fitting me right now. My, my marriage isn't fitting me, nothing's fitting me. Hey, quit making excuses up and just grab up your pants and run hard after God. If you will do that, your life will become inspirational and you will be a part of a mission that God's got you on here at task. So all I got to say is you, get your stinking heads up. Look up, huddle up, think up. Milestone, it's time to step up. God's got great things in store for you. And keep running hard. Keep running hard after God. He's counting on it. I love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 